Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of That's Odd. I am one of your hosts. I am Jeanne Townsend, and I am joined by Christopher Chavez. Chris, what's the haps? What's the haps? What's the haps? What's the what's the haps? About to break it. Oh, that was going to get a rhyme right there. <laughs> I was ready for you to bust out that rap. What's going on, dude? Does bust out that rap what the kids say? Um, I believe so. I believe p- kids still stand on the corners with boom boxes and gold rope chains and wait for other people to show up so that they can have battle raps. Oh, man. And they're this like, is, I got to get back out in the streets then because that sounds out amazing. That rap, son. Yeah. I want to discover new talent this way. I'm totally on board for this. Amazing. Another week, another episode of That's Odd, Chris. That is odd. We are odd. Yeah, that's right, man. Um, I'm excited to talk about uh, our new segment, Now That's Odd. Yes. Kind of like Current Creeps, uh, where we look for, when we do History Creeps, we look for you know things happening currently in the world. Um, but when it, we do That's Odd, we didn't really have anything like that. Uh, and I didn't want to call it Current Creeps, so we try to find weird, odd things happening and then... Now that's odd. I like it. I like it. Uh, I can go first. You want me to go first? Do it. Uh, so the title of this article is, I want to read this word for word, is uh, Landlord Rents $1,500 Studio to Two Cats. <laughs> uh, this is what? in San Jose, California. Uh, looking to make some extra cash, David Kalish found the perfect tenants for the $1,500 a month studio apartment. A pair of cats. Uh, basically, I've got two renters that don't have opposable thumbs, he said. It's pretty great. They're very quiet, obviously, and the only problem is they kind of stink up the place. What? Uh, well, then take care, of the, like, take care of the cats and they won't smell. I mean, I have a cat. It's not that hard. Uh, the rent is taken care of by a 43-year-old Troy Good, who saw the studio as a solution to a pressing problem. What to do with his daughter's beloved cats? He couldn't abandon them, but he also couldn't bring them into his new house. I get a new apartment and they didn't allow uh, pets there. Yeah, yeah. It's a situation that perhaps could only come about in Silicon Valley where rents are astronomical. I mean, they're ridiculous. I'm going to get into the numbers here. I'm about to blow your mind, I think. And residents treat their pets like children. Uh, feeding a booming demand for uh, pet-friendly offices, doggy daycare, and pet massage clinics. That blew my mind right there. <laughs> uh, the scenario is uh, peak Silicon Valley said Jennifer Loving, a CEO of Destination Home. Uh, while this story is funny, it really does highlight the tremendous uh, inequity uh, in the Silicon Valley. We have thousands of people on our streets, and we're paying to make sure that our cats have a place to live. So they also have a giant homeless problem there. Yeah. Because the rent is so high, uh, a lot of people living in the cars and in tents and stuff. Wow. Uh, it's much easier to, play, uh, to pay landlord it's much easier to play landlord to a pair of cats than to a human tenant, uh, said Kalish. Uh, still, with housing for people so scarce in the Bay Area, it's a problem that's driving prices through the roof. Uh, he says he feels he does feel bad about wasting valuable living space on animals, but the situation came up, and he was friends with that guy. Yeah. Uh, so what happened was, it's that, that guy's daughter's cats, but she started college, so she wasn't at home, and then he moved. And his apartment didn't have a place for him. He didn't want to just, you know, get rid of the cats because that would break her heart. Right. So, uh, I don't know what this guy does, but apparently he has an extra 1500 just lying around that he could pay a month for well, these I'm thinking cats if he's Silicon Valley, he's probably tech making some good money. 
He's got to be. He's Dude. Good. The average studio apartment. This is just a studio apartment. Oh, no. And San Jose rents for $2,000 a month. Holy crap. I don't know what it is in New York City. I couldn't tell you, but, dude, that's just insane. I'm going to tell Erin she needs to have, like, a pet therapy business out there. Because when you go to these places where people have that kind of money and, and then they treat their animals like their children, man, you know you could get in on some good money there. Yeah, they, apparently they think the cats weigh about 20 pounds each. Uh, they're very devoted to them. <laughs> uh, they even have their own Instagram account. Uh but she, but the, you know, the daughter can take them to the dorms with her, obviously, and then they moved into the new apartment. Uh, so, but meanwhile, at the same time, Kalish was getting ready to rent his granny unit, that's what it's called, uh, on Airbnb. But then his friend Good had an idea: why not just rent it to my cats instead? <laughs> nice. Uh, they definitely have the nicest cat apartment in Silicon Valley. They said. Uh, oh, he's oh good. The guy is a custom furniture designer. Oh, what it says. Well, custom furniture designer. Yeah, you can charge a pretty penny for custom stuff. Yeah, uh, he has his own business. In comparison, I looked it up here. So New York City, it looks about the same thing for New York City. A studio uh, in Manhattan is going to run you about $2,550. Uh, in in the Bronx, just north of Manhattan, it's one thousand four fifty. In Queens, two thousand one seventy five. And in Brooklyn, two thousand three fifty. Okay, so let me ask you something. This is just to rent. Uh, do you remember the place that King of Queens? What did they had? How many rooms was that? Oh, it's about from the show. Yeah. Oh man, because they're in Queens. It was a small dude. house. They're in Queens. Yeah, it was a, a three it was a very bedroom. Small house. Three bedroom goes three thousand a month. Wow. Can wow. you imagine if, if it was in Manhattan, you're paying four thousand nine fifty a month for a three bedroom place. Can you imagine that, dude? Um this was about <laughs> this was years and years ago. I was looking for an apartment and uh I was trying to find you know, something obviously cheap for myself and I was scoffing at prices that were five hundred dollars a month. <laughs> so this is this has destroyed my soul. <laughs> this makes you go wait. Well, like, what kind of places are those? Yeah, because to me, five hundred a month was ridiculous. It's like marble floors, <laughs> gold <Yeah>. toilets, <laughs> a bidet. It's got a bidet. Yeah, better have one for that much. <laughs> All right, so that was my now. That's odd. Oh man, okay. My now that's odd comes from um, the great, the legendary, not really uh, Jose Canseco. So I'm we sure were- he is in his mind. <laughs> So we were talking about Jose Canseco just before we started recording. Uh, He used to be a baseball player back in the day. Uh, He played with the Oakland A's, I think, if I remember right. Um, And he was he was considered one of the Bomber brothers with uh, Mark McGuire back when they were younger Um, because they were just they were he could knock, you know, uh, home runs all the time. He was a big dude. Uh, But then he was also one of the baseball players that helped break the whole uh, steroid use in baseball. I believe I don't know if he he testified for them or he put the book out. I can't remember, but I believe I, I, I think he did both, right? I yeah. know he for sure put the book out. So it was the book, okay? Yeah, uh, yeah. He basically admitted that they took steroids, and he named a bunch of people in in that major league baseball at the time who were using, and it was a big deal back. I think it was like the nineties when that went down. That's basically the reason why to this day. I mean, they just recently had a vote because you got you got to get voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah. And to this day, uh, McGuire is not in because of the steroid stuff. Yep. So, uh, so anyway, so this came, I don't even know how this came on my radar. I think somebody I follow on Twitter retweeted it. 
um, it was just this really weird statement about time travel and i was like i was like what in the heck is going on here so i went to see what what he wrote like i went to his twitter and i realized it was like the third in a line of different like this whole stream of thoughts of tweets and i thought holy crap this is amazing uh did you go back and read them all johnny no i you told me about this and i just wanted to hear that from you so uh, so this is his tweeting. So first of all, let me just kind of get you a little accustomed to his tweets. Okay. Uh, he, on January 6th, he tweeted, whatever you do, do not get an account with Cox communication, especially their Wi-Fi section. It's the worst in the world. Horrible technical support. Not even that you overpay. The Wi-Fi doesn't work half the time. Oh, okay. Sensible uh, tweet. He also says, I-, I am on cameo. If anyone wants a shout out. Okay. Don't he know al- what that is. He also says, uh, you would not need borders if conditions in other countries were better. Okay. So these are the kinds of things he tweets. He also tweeted um, golf clubs. There's a new golf clubs by Lux. He tweeted that he retweeted their stuff, tweeted images of their golf clubs. Um, and then three days ago, he tweets, we are in communication with aliens with a very flexible body composition called the AI-5-1. The next tweet, these aliens are going to teach us how to try and travel. The brain can physically travel without the body. The next tweet, aliens have been trying to teach us how to time travel, but first we have to change our body composition, which we are not willing to do. We have tried with animals and it has failed. Next tweet, This is the one that I saw. Time travel puts 42,651 pounds of pressure on the human skeletal structure. Can you detach the brain from the body and equalize the pressure? It could be done. (laughs) Where's this coming from? Next tweet. Our science is totally irrelevant to aliens. And then that was all. That was three days ago. (laughs) And last night he started tweeting again that had nothing to do with it. Now he's trying to make extra money. His tweet last night was, when you're in Vegas, play a round of golf with me. Contact Morgan, 702-374-3735. Next tweet after that, when you're in Vegas, come and let me teach you the art of power hitting with a baseball and softball. Contact Morgan at, and then he puts the number. The next tweet, spend the day with Jose. Come hang out with me. Ask me questions. Pick my brain. See what I'm really about. Contact Morgan at the phone number. Next tweet, come play golf with me and learn about aliens and time traveling. (laughs) (laughs) I've never wanted to play golf more than my life than I do now. I've never really cared about Jose Canseco more than I do now. What is going on with Jose Canseco, dude? He's become really interesting, apparently. Now that is odd, all right? That is insane. Um, (laughs) As I went back further, he did put uh, on January 3rd, invest in space travel. As soon as it's available, invest in space travel. We need a bullet train from Vegas to Los Angeles and from Vegas to Arizona. Obviously incorporating a magnetic reverse gear. Have the casinos pay for the bullet train and make it free for everyone. <laughs> what, oh, okay. what is going on with this guy? But I, I gotta start. He thinks outside of the box. Now. I gotta follow. He thinks him outside now. of the batter's box. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> man, that is odd though. 
Now oh, that is odd. That's amazing, man. So yeah, that's a uh, that's a uh, that's my that now that's odd. Jose Canseco seems to be uh, probably Twitter's most entertaining account right now. I think so. I think so. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> incredible. I love that it goes back and forth between uh, like just normal what you everybody tweets stuff. I think from now on we're going to have a Canseco corner on the show. Yeah, if he and says something gonna, interesting. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. read off some crazy tweets the next time they come off. I want to know where he's getting this stuff, though. Like, is somebody <laughs> telling him this? Is he reading this? Or is he just making this up in his head? Well, obviously, he puts out all those crazy tweets. Then he's like, hey, you want to make? You want to come see me? Uh, contact yeah. this person. It's only going to cost you $10,000. <laughs> come hang out and have breakfast. I'll talk to you about aliens. Entrepreneur. <laughs> That's amazing. Making copies. Yeah, <laughs> doing great. Doing great. All right, well, I, I can go first on this week's That's Odd. Oh, sure. Let's see what you got. We're going to jump around in time on mine. Uh-oh. Wait, uh, but first on. we're going. To... I don't yeah, know okay, if my yeah. skeletal structure can handle time travel, oh, yeah. my friend. Can we, can we somehow detach the brain? Uh, detach our brains <laughs> to do this. I think that's... So everybody detach your brains first. Here we go. All right. There we go. Okay. Uh, we're going to the year 1969. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Carter. You've heard that name before, I assume. Ah, the peanut man. The peanut yeah, comma. That's what, that's what he's known for. Uh, not the fact that he became president at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was president. Uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but before that, before he became president, and even before he was even governor, uh, he was going to speak at a Lions Club meeting. So he was out trying to make a speech here. And around 7 o'clock that evening, uh, he and a group of people witnessed a strange object in the sky. Ooh, I think I a, know this story. A UFO. They saw a UFO. I'm going to read you now uh, the quotes he said about this UFO sighting. And here we go. This is from Jimmy Carter's mouth himself. There were about 20 of us, so there's more than one person, uh, standing outside of a little restaurant, I believe, a high school lunchroom, and a kind of green light appeared in the western sky. This was right after sundown. It got brighter and brighter and then eventually it disappeared it didn't have any solid substance to it it was just a very peculiar looking light none of us could understand what it was he even talked about it again later on because he would constantly get asked about this even when he became president uh, uh this he actually did this interview after this is in 2005 interview he did so this is well after his presidency all of a sudden one of the men looked up and said look over in the west and there was a bright light in the sky we all saw it and then the light it got closer and closer to us and then it stopped i don't know how far away but it stopped beyond the pine trees and all of a sudden it changed color to blue and then it changed to red and then back to white and we were trying to figure out what in the world it could be and then it receded into the distance so that's a very famous uh, UFO uh, witness, uh, Jimmy Carter. Obviously, it would go on to become president, and he did a lot for uh, ufology and such. Yeah, because he he was a big name who was not afraid to say that he saw something strange in the sky and to talk about it. You yeah, know? I mean, anytime he got asked about it, he would talk about it freely. So that was kind of a big deal because definitely then, and even still now to some extent, uh, we kind of live in a time when. You know, if anybody brings it up, they're kind of looked down upon a little bit. Like, yeah. yeah, something's going on with you. You're 
you're not all there type of deal. It's like saying you watch pro wrestling. People just kind of laugh and, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not real, right? <laughs> they have a they have a stigma to them. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, and the thing about I think it's when you see a lot of these people who say uh, that they do believe it being real and that they, you know, the government does know about it. It's a lot of times they'll point to Jimmy Carter's account or there's there's footage of him where he is speaking about it. Uh, and people will show that in their documentaries to kind of underline the point that, you know, politicians, people who have been part of our government, uh, people who are smart people, you know, the, these people aren't just, you know, the guys that's sitting in the in his basement putting together, you know, these boards with pictures and and yarn strings all over the place you know he's not a crazy man that this is right this could be real and this is why you know notable people have dealt with this as well right and i want to raise you jimmy carter and give you the big flap Uh, let's go to july 1952 detach your brains let's go there we go and we're in 1952 uh, the Big Flap, that's the nickname given to a multiple credible sightings of UFOs over Washington, D.C. Ooh. Uh, I remember this. Well, not that I remember this because I wasn't alive back then, but I've definitely <laughs> read about this a lot. This was a huge deal because they would even appear on radar and they would send out, you know, obviously if anything enters the airspace over Washington, D.C., it's a concern. And they mm-hmm. will send out jets and stuff to check it out. But they couldn't ever find anything because the ob- quote-unquote objects were too quick. They couldn't ever find them. Uh, even the History the history Channel's own website uh, says, When a slew of saucer-like sightings were reported over Washington, D.C., the Air Force blocked its own investigator from checking them out. So it's kind of a weird thing that went on there. And I don't want to go into too much detail over this because I want to cover this incident on a bigger scale for history creeps. But I thought it was important to lead to uh, my next thing that I really, really wanted to talk about here. Mm-hmm. I've never heard this story. Uh, in 1952, we don't have to time travel. We're still in the same year. So we don't have to. De- we can keep our brains attached this time. Thank goodness. Uh, there's a man by the name of Oscar Link, L-I-N-K-E. That may not be a, a name that we're familiar with. But he was a former mayor of, okay, this is in Germany, so I'm sorry. Uh, former mayor of Glamershison, <laughs> which is a city's name that I butchered that's in Germany. It sounded perfect. I think he said it exactly as it's pronounced. I think so. Uh, he was with his 11-year-old daughter, and they were traveling home when one of his tires blew in his car. Uh, near the town of Hasselbeck. That one I know I got right. That one was pretty easy. Uh, his do- but while, they, while he was out trying to change his tires, you know, his daughter noticed something out in the distance. At first, he was like, "That's that's probably a deer or something, you know, some kind of animal." But when they got closer, he saw what appeared to be two men looking at what looked like, and this is according to the art the article here, a massive frying pan is between forty two and forty nine feet in diameter. Uh, around the rim where uh. So that's pretty large, Chris. Yeah, that's a, a humongous thing there—a humongous frying pan. So he said it looked like a frying pan, or it was legit a giant frying pan. No, it looked like yeah, it was a legit frying pan. I was like, that's yeah. kind of strange. That's very strange. No, it looked like a frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming an upside down frying pan. 
Yeah, it's because it, it, it had more pieces to it. Yeah, it's. But what's even more strange is there's two men there looking at it. But he said around the rim were two rows of holes, each were about twelve inches in diameter, mm. uh, and a large tower about ten feet loomed at the top of the object. And then, of course, like I said, there's these two men staring at it. So his daughter called back to him, and when and when she did so, she startled the two the two men. Who immediately, and this is his quote, jumped inside the mysterious frying pan uh, and took off. Uh, one of the men, according to Link, had a round protrusion on his chest that glowed green and then red. And while he was watching, the structure, the tall structure that was part of the thing, fell down to the ground. The saucer began rising in the air, and the rim was encircled with flames from below. Then it turned horizontally and took off above the trees, disappearing into the distance. And when he was asked about this, this is his actual quote. Now remember, this guy's a former mayor. I would have thought that both my daughter and I were dreaming if it were not for the following element involved. When the object had, object had disappeared, I went to the place where it had been. I found a circular opening in the ground, and it was quite evident that it was freshly dug. It was exactly the same shape as that tower. He testified this to a judge at the time. Uh, what's even more, and just to even give this guy even more mm -hmm. uh, stock in what he's saying, uh, he had recently escaped from East Germany, and he claimed he had never heard of flying saucers uh, when he was in the Soviet zone. He, w he thought it, that it was actually a flying machine that was like a Soviet military thing. Uh, but at the same time, uh, people did report seeing a comet in the area, like a flying thing. They thought there was a, a comet, some sort of flying thing, when he saw this happen. So that's the story of the flying frying pan in West Germany. <laughs> uh, I thought it was very fascinating. I've never heard crazy. one described as a flying pan. But also, these are just different stories from, uh, you know, different... Uh, politic I was about to say political which is not a word <laughs> politicals <laughs> yeah politicals we're going to stick with it different from different political backgrounds and I thought it was very fascinating I mean these are more you know it's a big thing with UFO things where uh, the credibility of someone's very important when they witness something and usually when you get like police officers or or uh, politicals <laughs> uh, it's sort of a you know it, it adds more credence to what they're saying. Yeah, no, those are that's all. I love it. I lo I always you know obviously I want to believe right. I, how many times do I say it on these shows? Yeah, but uh, yeah, dude. I, every time I hear these accounts, uh, you know, I can just picture what they're saying. They're seeing. You can see these things happening, and it just makes you just. There's a sense of wonder, you know what I mean? Like, man, yeah. man, I always was one of those kids that's like, why can't I see a UFO? Why can't I see that? I was the same way. I want to see yeah. it so bad. Same. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, all right, we're going to move on from the world of UFOs, and we're just going to come back to uh, Earth. We're going to come back in time. So detach uh -oh. your brains. We're going to move uh, back to it. the 1800s. Uh, dude, you know how much I love historical figures that are – eccentric and odd and crazy oh yeah you know I'm, i I brought up what was the name of the i can't now i can't even remember his name but the guy who was the emperor of of the united states uh living yes. out in san francisco so we're gonna go to the 1800s i'm gonna this guy isn't as um 
grandiose in that respect. He's not claiming to be any kind of emperor or anything. But this guy is also an eccentric. Uh, he was also c- considered um, a womanizer, you know, a hard partier, a gambler. Um, and then he's also one of these guys where he was just kind of didn't want to do anything, kind of lazy. Uh, he came from British royalty. So the guy I'm talking about, his name is John Mighton, M-Y-T-T-O-N. He went by the nickname Mad Jack. Now, you know when you have Mad in your nickname, especially back in those days, you, you had to be doing things to to to, uh, to warrant that. You know what I mean? Yeah, anger issue, I would assume. Uh, well, or that you're just crazy. You're all out crazy. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You're, you're off your, your rocker, right? Yeah. So this guy was born in 1796 uh, to the son. He was the son of John Mighton and Sarah Harriet. Uh, his family were so back in, you know, back in the days in England, uh, you know, earlier, like, say, 500 years before that, you're talking medieval times. You're talking about castles. You're talking about royalty, knights, you know, serfdom, that whole thing you learned in history. Um, so they were part of a lineage of squires. Do you know what squires a squire is? I've definitely heard the name before, like the, it's like a, who is, I mean, I don't know what they exactly did, but I always heard squires when it comes to this time period. So squires back in the middle ages used to be like the errand runner for a knight. They were like, the, yes, like, yeah. Hey, go get me my sword. And the squire ran and got the sword. Right. And he was kind of like in training as well. He was trying to learn how to be, it was like being an apprentice. Uh, but then it, it started to evolve. Like, so as that started to fall away and you didn't really need knights anymore and that kind of thing, you did need though, as, as royalty, you needed certain people to watch over the land and watch over certain parts of the land. Uh, so later on, it almost became uh, like the village leader. Like you were the one running, you know, kind of making sure things were going right for the Lords. Right. Uh, so they come from this long lineage of, of squires. Uh, that goes back 500 years. Um, he's born to this family, and you could say they were well-to-do. They had a lot of money, a lot of money. And he, he just seemed to be one of these kids who did not want to grow up in this setting. He didn't want to behave. He was always uh, a practical joker. Apparently, like his parents went through so many different tutors who tried to teach him, but he kept like chasing him off and scaring him off because he all these weird practical jokes people would be taking what like the the tutor would be taking a walk in the garden and he would like urinate all over him uh one time he left a horse in one of his tutor's bedrooms tutor came in the horse was in there you know went crazy and uh tutored quits um so this is the kind of person we're dealing with right right um that's basically my whole point to this guy is like i love when we find characters that do all of these crazy things and no one is like stop doing that you know what i mean it's oh maybe they are but they just it's it's like they they think they have all this money they're at this point where they're just like i could just do whatever i want you know what i mean um yeah let's see what uh i'm going to look up some of the stuff that it said he did here so one of the things he did is uh he he married he, he was a womanizer first of all but the, one of the things that stuck out to me was he married this woman um, it was his second marriage, and when he married her, he married her in 1821. Uh, nine years later, she ran away. What do you do to make somebody run away? Wow, you must be a lot to put up with. <laughs> well, think about some of the things he's doing. So one time he get, he takes a horse, and uh, just to win a bet, he decides that he's going to ride it into this uh, – it was basically like a hotel – which had guests there and they were all eating dinner. He rode the horse into the hotel, up the stairs, jumped off the balcony and over the people who were sitting at the table eating, 
rode the horse across the table and then out the window. Like this is the kind of like can you like think about this? You're sitting at a dinner the size of a horse, all right? This beast just comes clopping in, smashing things around like and this guy just thought like, I'm doing it to win a bet. You said I wouldn't do it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay. He's like the he's like the Johnny Knoxville of the Victorian yeah. Victorian That's what age. It sounds like. Right? Yeah. Um he wants so he he wa- he wanted to stand in parliament. So what that means is he wanted to be basically one of the political figures in England. You know what I mean? Uh, but instead of doing it the right way, going out and campaigning and winning people's trust and telling them what he's going to do for them if they vote him in, he promised a ten-pound note for every person that voted for him. <laughs> so he got ten thousand votes, and he ended up getting a spot on the parliament. Like this dude is legit in England's historical record as having a spot on the parliament. Um, he was there for thirty minutes in the House of Commons. And found it to be completely boring. The debates were too boring and difficult. He just walked out and never came back. <laughs> just decided, you know what? I don't want to do this. Never mind. <laughs> he tried again later on, but he, he didn't. He didn't end up winning. He withdrew uh, from the polls uh, before they, they could go to the full election. But yeah, he was this kind of guy. Uh, he loved to horse race and gamble. There was a story that that was on here where. Um, Oh, he used to he used to go hunting all the time as well. So one of the things he did is he hunted foxes with his own uh, pack of dogs, which he had two thousand dogs, dude. Wow, this guy had two thousand dogs. And you want to know what kind of food he fed his favorites of the dogs? Steak and champagne. Oh yeah, of course. His favorite horse had free range of his house. Like like you'd walk into his house and the horse is walking around. Like, no big deal. And apparently the horse liked to lay down in front of the fire, this huge fire that, that was in one of the rooms. Um, <laughs> but this guy would go hunting for foxes with his hounds, and they said it didn't matter what the weather was. did not matter. He wore a light jacket, thin shoes, linen trousers, and silk stockings. And whenever he – they like, say they caught scent of a, a, a fox and they took off, and he got excited – he would rip all his clothes off and go running into the brush, butt naked, trying to chase after the after the fox. Does that make you quicker? Or Even something? I don't know, dude. But you're talking through snowdrifts. There's there was a, a thing where somebody wrote that like it was in negative degree weather, and he was just running around like it was nothing. <laughs> Brave man. And he's done all, and like he'll keep hunting no matter what. Apparently, he got hurt one time. He was thrown from his horse, and he'd broken ribs. Kept going, kept running after the fox. Didn't want to stop. Did he take his clothes off? <laughs> I don't know. They said that one time he had stable boys chase a rat down, go on a rat hunt, but they he made them all wear ice skates to do it. Oh, yeah, you got to make it more fun. Make it fair for the rat. Dude, this guy was insane. One of the other things it says here was that not only did he not mind accidents, he positively loved them. He once drove a, a gig, which is a two-wheeled cart you can sit in, like you, you hook it up to a horse, and the horse will take you around. He drove it at a high speed and decided to see if a horse pulling a carriage could jump over a toll gate. Uh, it could not. He it, it <laughs> nearly it, it it flipped him out and he nearly smashed his head in because of it. But as far as he was concerned, it was fun. Uh, there was a man. It, the uh, somebody said to him, you know, you know, what is wrong with you? What? Why are you doing this? And he said, uh, 
you know, slow people basically, if, if you're not doing it fast, if you're not, it's, to paraphrase, if you're not doing it fast and furious, then what's the point, right? Yeah, makes sense. So, uh, yeah, this guy was absolutely insane. One of the other things, this, this has got to be one of my favorite stories right now. Um, so there was a, there was a minute here where he couldn't get rid of hiccups. He had hiccups real bad, right? And his friend, Charles James Apperly, was with him. Um, he actually, this guy's known as writing under the pseudonym Nimrod. Okay. Do you know about that? I don't, okay. I don't no. know if you know, but anyway, so he was, he was, he was with this guy with, with Mad Jack and Mad Jack just keeps hiccuping and he just can't stop. He's getting pissed. And have, you've had that before, right? I'm sure you've had the hiccups where you're just like, man, you know, trying everything, hold your breath. Um, have you ever tried the drink, drink water upside down thing? No, I mean, I've heard people trying that though. Sometimes that 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 cures hiccups. Uh, for some reason, none of that was working for Mad Jack, so he decided, "Let me light my shirt on fire. That should help cure it." And he did. Okay. He let he lit the front of his. He took a candle and lit you know lit the tail end of his shirt. And because it was a cotton shirt, it went up in flames instantly. Like he was on fire. People were jumping on him, throwing water. He's rolling around the place, and he j- takes all of his clothes off. He ends up standing in the middle of the room, butt naked. And everybody's like, what the heck? Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? He goes, yeah, but I uh, I, I frightened it away. It worked. <laughs> so he got rid of the hiccups. He got so it rid works. of the hiccups. All right. Yeah, this dude was was uh, was one of these kind of loony madmen. Uh, again, these are one of my favorite kinds of characters uh, in history. But he was, he was also, because of that, like, he ended up losing a lot. He ended up dying in squalor. You know what I mean? Like, he just basically ran his life down. Towards the end of his years, he met this woman. She was, like, uh, a 20-year-old 20 20 woman, uh, super attractive, that he said, you know what? I'm going to pay you uh, to basically $500, 500 pounds a year for that back then was a, a whole lot. Uh, 500 pounds a year if you just be my companion. And she did. She stayed with him until he died. Huh. But he was just, uh, he just, you know, he he ended up a, a, a an old drunk that that uh, I guess if you have that kind of life, you can say, hey, at least I did this, right? <laughs> I guess. But uh, yeah, apparently, I found a cure for hiccups. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the story, a lot of the things that you hear about this guy's life were written by the Nimrod guy. It's a book he wrote called The Life of John Mighton. But yeah, apparently this guy was one of those crazy Mad Hatter type of type of characters in history. One of the odd men in history, if you ask me. Very much. That is odd. That is odd. That is odd. That's I mean, odd. I mean, That's would odd. you what what makes you think to light your shirt on fire to get rid of hiccups, bro? I mean, I, I hate hiccups, so I can understand being really frustrated. <laughs> but who thinks but that seems like that seems like an extreme <laughs> reaction to them, though? Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> So there you go. I mean, I've, held, I've held my breath before to get rid of them, but I've never, I've never once thought to light myself on fire. I think the only two things I know is the drinking water and holding your breath. Oh no, you can scare hiccups away. I think was one of them too. Oh yeah, that's another one I've heard. Uh, but that's yeah. about it. Like, yeah, where does that come from? Let me light myself on fire. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's that. Maybe it's good that we don't understand why he got to that idea, <laughs> right? Well, that would make us a little mad, I guess. Yeah, we all go a little <laughs> mad sometimes. It's all mad down here. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice. Well, that's been this episode of That's Odd, everybody. Uh, Chris, you got anything else? I'm done. I'm out of here. Taking off. Peace out. Right. Detaching my brains. Going back in time. Oh, well, oh, there he went. He's gone. Brains detached and everything. Very weird to see in person. 
Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. We very much appreciate it. And as always, we invite you to just stay odd. odd. Now I'm going to detach my brain now. Beep.